because many of the Jewish believers, uh, Jewish individuals believe that indeed the Lord was a revolutionary and he was doing what he could to begin a revolution against Judaism and to lead a revolt against the Roman occupation. I guess they have a Rambo Jesus and they point to sometimes some verses that I think are uh, taken a little bit out of context with the whole of his teaching and you say well why is this important because I, I know that there are individuals today that mistakenly believe that uh, you know they brand conservatives as being revolutionaries and I know uh, supposedly the insurrection on January the 6th and the hostile takeover of the government that has been often uh, labeled and been accused and laid at the feet of excuse me uh, uh, laid at the feet of some conservatives has been that you are violent and that you are extremist and that you are anti-government and want the overthrow of the government. And I understand that there are people that may hold some of those views and, and appear to adhere to that. And then when you look historically, I know there were many atrocities that were committed in the name of Christ or Christianity from uh, things that were done uh, at the beginning of uh, World War II to things that were done during the Crusades and things that were written by Martin Luther and other uh, situations where they blame uh, people uh, that were uh, Christian and they say you were as bad as Islam or other religions and that you were not peace loving and that's uh, you have that uh, sort of uh, history and in reality that's not totally true when you really study history for the first hundred years or so of the existence of the early church, there is no recorded history of any of the Christian early leaders doing anything to disrupt government or to try to conquer lands or to try to lead insurrections. Now later, yes, uh, crusades began and there were times when that sort of became uh, probably after the Council of Nicaea when the basically you know the, the leader became one to believe that his war horse had the bridle and the bit of the nails of Christ and that he had a religious mandate Constantine to, to conquer and to conquer Palestine and to conquer the Holy Land and to conquer and that was not technically what the Lord always said and I mentioned this last week that Jesus said I am not sent but unto the lost uh, 
sheep of the house of Israel. The Lord did not in any way uh, try to do, do away with Jewish believers. In fact, uh, not only did he say it once, but he said it to the woman of Sychar, and then uh, the lady that was uh, whenever he was at the well, and I read this verse last week, and then uh, basically he told them that repentance and remission of sins and the Great Commission should begin to be preached beginning where? At Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. And the early disciples in Acts the third chapter said they acknowledged the covenant that had been made with Abraham. And then in the 21st chapter uh, he did Paul gets the word that thousands of Jews are turning to belief and they are believing. And yet there are those that took what Jesus did in John the second chapter when he, uh, beginning at the 13th verse, when he took a, a scourge of rope and he whipped them and sent them out of the temple and said, my house basically shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And so from that whole story, people say, well, he was trying to overthrow the temple. He was trying to stop temple worship. When that was not when you study this, he was basically cleaning the court of the Gentiles. And we saw the, the floor plan where the Gentile area had been overrun with the buying and selling and it was not a house of prayer. And that went back to Psalms where uh, he knew that he made the statement, the zeal, they, whenever they saw him take the whip, the disciples said, well, that reminds us of the verse, the zeal of his house uh, has eaten him up. And what they were meaning was that he is now on a path to be hated. You know, we love you if you're healing, if you're turning water into wine, if you're feeding me, but the moment you cross any of my beliefs, the moment you tell me I've got to do something different, that's when a lot, you know, I get crossways. Now Jesus would say, well, take up your cross and follow me. But, you know, anybody ever know what I'm talking about? You cross me, you know. It's kind of like the, you know, the preacher that was preaching and trying to raise an offering. And he said, you know what? You know, any of you guys out there, you know, you got $100, you need to put it in the offering plate. If you've got $50, you need to put it in the offering plate. If you've got $10, you need to put it in the offering plate tonight. Then he said, if you have a pig, you know, you need to sell it and bring the money to it. And one old farmer stood up and said, all right, you've gone too far now. Because you know I got a pig. I don't have $50, I don't have $10, I don't have $100. You can preach on that all day long. But don't talk about my pig. Because you know I got one of them. So that's enough. No more. I, you know, stop right there. Stop while you're ahead. I get it. And, and so 
what the disciples knew was that when you're trying to open this for Matthew, and, and this was recorded in Matthew and Mark, Luke, and in John, that the Lord wanted it to be a house of prayer. And then when you look in Luke, the 22nd chapter, this is the, the two-sword doctrine, you know, because the Lord said, hey, buy two swords. And I, I mentioned to you last week, I've tried to take this out of context and justify uh, going to the gun shop and buying another gun. And my wife, uh, she knows the Bible too well. And she said, sorry, that's not work. And uh, Brother Cawthorn told me he got caught by the same trip. Uh, he, he tried to pull that on Sister Jenny and she goes, oh no, uh -uh, I got your number. Uh, these two sword doctrines. So, um, you know, and yet what the Lord was teaching here in Luke the 22nd chapter, when you read it in context, they, they, he said, get ready. It's about to happen. Get ready. We're at the, they're fixing to come. He was basically saying, you know, I sent you out without anything. Now you're going to have to be prepared. If you don't have a sword, sell your garment and buy one. And they said to him, they took him literally and said, but Lord, well, we have two swords. Simon Peter had one. We find out later in that same chapter. And one of the other guys said, hey, I got a sword. And so what did the Lord say? It is enough. Now, if the Lord was trying to lead an insurrection or a rebellion, and he has 12 guys and only two swords, sorry, that's not leading a revolt. I mean, why would the Lord say it is enough? <laughs> You know, if he was really trying to lead a rebellion, what the Lord was trying to show them, and I mentioned to you last week, was that he was numbered with the transgressors, he bare the sin of many, he was referring to Isaiah the 53rd chapter, which is why, you know, um, you know, it was a new concept their idea of the Messiah and many Jews today idea of the Messiah is that he's going to come in conquering he's going to set them up he's going to allow them to start uh, offering sacrifice all the above and he's going to allow make the treaty with Israel he'll straighten out Jerusalem everything's going to be perfect and that's what that's what they're waiting for is that Messiah and the Lord was trying to show them that's not who I am I am fixing to be a suffering lamb I'm fixing to go as a lamb to the slaughter and I'm just telling you you better get ready for that because later on in the same chapter of, of Luke, the 22nd chapter, where he says, get two swords, is where they, they come to him and, and they say, okay, is it time now? Here come the soldiers. Let's go. Is this time we pull our swords and kill? And in fact, Simon didn't wait. What did he do? Cut his ear off. And what did Jesus do? He heals it. And then he makes some statement like, they that put your sword up, Simon. If you live by it, you're going to die by it. 
And then Jesus asked the people that were gathered there, he said, why are you coming to me now with sticks and staves and swords? Like you are coming against a thief. You saw me earlier. I was in the temple. You've come at me with all of this. Like I'm some revolutionary. That's not who I am. Whenever they said, well, we're looking for Jesus. And he, of course, said, I am. And they fell back. And then, of course, the powerful thing is that when he told them in Matthew, he said, put up your sword. Don't you know that I could pray and he would give me ten legions of angels? I don't need these two swords. I don't need your swords. Now, you say, well, is it wrong to have swords or pistol or gun or protect yourself? No. But let, let me just tell you, if, if you think you're going to stop the government or take over or change the government or you're going to stop somebody, I, I don't even care if you walk around and carry a sign and protest anything, if you do it peaceably and you do it within the law. But let, let me tell you, we, you're, our job is not to change this government, unless it's by some legal means, i.e., for example, voting. I don't know if you voted yesterday or not. You should have. Say, well, I didn't know who was running. I neither did I. I didn't know them all. Hadn't met them all. But I—that's the one thing I can do—is vote. So I went and voted. Well, you say, Pastor, you know, should I? be a revolutionary and I go and march and demonstrate and, and bust over fences and fight and get mad. Absolutely not. Jesus was never for that. There is a revolution his, that starts from the inside out. Supposed to change me first. Supposed to change those around us. And, and that's why he went back to Isaiah where it talked about surely he had borne our sorrows he was despised and rejected and he was wounded for our transgressions a powerful 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 chapter that you can read and I'm sure you've read most of it but it says he was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and did what he opened not his mouth now, why is that important? Because even though the Lord made the statement in Matthew 10, think not that I'm come to send peace, I came to send a sword. And so I've heard people say, well, see, the Lord was a revolutionary. The Lord was coming to send a sword. Well, keep reading. He said, set man at variance against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foe shall be of his own household. And the next verse says, you know why the Lord said this? I've come to bring a sword. He was not saying I'm trying to destroy your family. But he was saying is, you've got to love me more than mother, father, Son, daughter, mother-in-law. You know, well, I can't help it. My children just want to do, and, and they always want to, you know, they want to be, they want to have picnics every Sunday morning, and I don't, I just want to. 
Sorry, what did Jesus say? Say, honey, I can meet you at 1. I can meet you at 12.30. Why? Because the next verse, after he talks about sin peace, not but a sword, not sin peace, but a sword, says, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life shall find it. So if you want to take those verses that Jesus came to bring, not to bring peace, but a sword, he was not talking about a revolution there. He was talking about nothing can be more important than your relationship with Almighty God. I don't care. And, and you say, well, are you saying break up your home and don't, I know, I do as best. And the Bible talks about do as best as you can to live peaceably. But when the bottom line comes down, you have to worship God, whether your wife does, whether your husband does, whether your children do, whether your grandchildren, whether your parents, you have to have a personal relationship with Almighty God that goes beyond what anybody else says or does. If you don't, according to the Lord, he said, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. In fact, if you read those same verses in Luke, he was talking about how he was going to be really killed, put on a cross. He said, I have a baptism to be baptized with. Now, he wasn't talking about baptism in water. That had already happened. So he was talking about the baptism of his death. And he said, I am straightened till it be accomplished. What did he mean? He said, I'm under, I'm under pressure. I'm being pulled until this happens. He knew the cross was in his future. And he said, it's, it's pulling me. I tell you, no but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two, two against three. Father shall be divided against the son, the son against the father, and the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother, and the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Does this mean that you can never have a good relationship with your daughter-in-law? No. Does this mean you can't ever have a good relationship with your children? No. Does this mean you can't have a good relationship with your family? No. But when it comes to they don't want me to come to church, they don't want me to live for God, they don't want me to be here, at some point you got to say, okay, I love you, I'm sorry, but I need to be there. I know I'm not talking about during Corona. I'm not, I'm not mad at anybody. I, I understand. And if you have family, I mean, we have Luvdisa, whose daughter-in-law and who's battling cancer and very serious. And I get it. If, I'm not 
Tracy battling cancer, very serious, and others. I'm, I'm not talking about being, protecting them, and not, I'm not, that's not what I have reference to. Don't take these words out of context. What I'm saying is, when an individual says, you know what, I, you know, well, my family, they don't, they kind of don't want me to go. They don't want me to be, I'm sorry. That's what the Lord was saying. He was not talking about taking a revolution out. In fact, what he was basically quoting was Micah the seventh chapter in the Old Testament. And the Jews knew this. For the son dishonoreth the father, the daughter riseth up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. What's the next verse? Therefore I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. So what was he saying? Is when you find yourself in a family conflict and problems going on, you know what our solution should be? I'm going to look to the Lord. Oh God, help us bring peace to our home. Bring and help us, Lord. Give me a better spirit. I don't want to make everybody upset, but at the same time, my hope is not going to be in my family. My hope, my trust, is in Almighty God. So Jesus was basically referencing that in Matthew and Luke. And then in the 14th chapter, he said, Likewise, whoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, what did he say? Can I be my disciple? Now, does that mean you've got to sell all your money? You've got to sell all your house, everything? No. But what he was saying is there can't be anything that's more important than your relationship with Almighty God. Does that mean, you know, that obviously, you know, if there was a situation and you don't want to be exposed and bring them, so I, I get all of that. But that's still not going to stop me from praying, from worshiping, from being connected, from being a part. Huh? When it does... That's a problem. Now, so when you look, of course, Jesus would not have limited his disciples to two swords if he was attempting a takeover of Rome. I, I read one Jewish writer that said he's, you know, this Jesus rabbi was just a poor excuse for a revolutionary and he fizzled out. And I'm thinking, you missed the whole point. I mean, he could have called a heavenly host to obliterate him. But what he was doing was establishing, I'm going to be the Lamb of God. This is the very thing that John the Baptist said of him. Remember? When John the Baptist saw him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away sin of the world. Paul in Corinthians 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, the seventh verse, Paul says, For even Christ our Passover, our Pesach, our Passover, the Passover lamb is sacrificed for us. When he says Passover, what he was saying is our lamb. Simon Peter, in his book, 
said, For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot, who verily, truly was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. 28 times in the book of Revelation, John the Beloved, starting in Revelation, the fifth chapter, said a lamb sitting on the throne, a lamb, a lamb, a lamb. Not once, not twice, not five times, not 10 times, 28 times from the fifth chapter to the 22nd chapter, he's referred to as the Lamb of God. Why would his early church disciples refer to him as a lamb if they thought he was starting a revolution? At least they would make him an eagle. Lambs just are not revolutionaries. I mean, they would have called him a goat. I guess he is the goat, greatest of all time, or whatever. But, you know, he was considered a lamb. In fact, to, to believe that, you know, well, Jesus wants me to stand up and fight for what is right. He wants me to, you know, I, I need to go out and I need to protest and I need to attack and I need to... Vote. Do what you want. Peaceful, but there's a spirit that is in our out in our age and in our country right now. Everything is violent, 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 violent. And Jesus was never about that. You say, well, you don't understand. They're, what they're doing is wrong. I have no doubt. In fact, if you can show me one politician that is living for God, serving God, doing 100% right, they're not going to get very far in politics. Just the nature of the beast, folks. You have to start scratching somebody's back and listening to somebody and, huh? Sorry. If you think it's not corrupt, whether you're Democrat or Republican, does that mean you agree with everybody? No, I don't agree with everybody's policies. Am I thankful that yes, 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 that I hope we turn more conservative back. I get it. I don't want progressive and all. I don't want all that, but let me just explain to you. Guess what? The Lord's not out of control and the Lord knows what's going on and we do our best and vote. But you know what? Don't think for one moment that the Lord is wanting us to take up as a revolution to try to save America. I'm here to tell you, yes, I want to do what is right for my planet and I don't want to be a litter bug and I all, but this world is still not my home. I'm going to a new heaven and a new earth and that's where I'm headed and I'm sorry if you think you're going to save this one from destruction, you haven't read Revelation yet it's going to burn with a fervent heat hallelujah Simon said from tradition but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without 
blemish or without spot. John said 28 times he was a lamb. Jesus in Matthew said it like this, Whosoever shall smite thee on your right cheek, that's a revolutionary. And I know, when I was a little boy, my dad would say, you know, they smite you on one cheek, turn your other cheek, and if they hit that one, you have my permission to just lie into them. <laughs> so he started me down a path. <laughs> so you all that are here tonight, you need to question that. Get him. Fortunately, I didn't have to have boys, so I, you know, the Lord blessed me. I didn't have that dilemma. He said, you know, turn the other cheek. If they hit that one, then all oh, you're free from the scripture. So I don't know. If you read on though, Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless those that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Wow. Is that an easy one? Oh no. That's tough. That takes a real revolution on the inside. When you know somebody has despitefully used you or persecuted, somebody does something to you to pray for them. And it's hard to pray for, pray for them and not pray against them. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because I've been guilty of a few times of, okay, God, hello. You know what they did. Sick them. Huh? Am I the only one? I'm praying for them, Pastor. I'm praying for them. Oh, God, get them. <clears throat> I don't think that verse actually meant that. But when you look, and I know the history through the Crusades, we got a bad, we did a lot of, a lot of terrible things in the name of Christ, but that was not what the early church believed. When you look actually at the book of Romans, it says, for we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Paul in Corinthians, what did he do about talking about your weapons? Make sure you buy a couple swords. Make sure you have a spear handy. Make sure you have a breastplate. But what was it? They, weren't, they were not carnal. He said our weapons are not carnal. They're not earthly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of stronghold. This was 30 years after the cross and, and they were still saying things like you know what? <clears throat> Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of men if it's possible. As much as lieth in you live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved avenge not yourselves but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, whew, if he's thirsty, 
For in so doing you shall heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And I know he was quoting Proverbs, the 25th chapter, where it says heap coals of fire and do good. And Is that easy? No, 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 no. Not in the least. But, you know, we have a world this, that is accusing, you know, that will throw, well, if you believe in God, you're a revolutionary. You are against government. You are trying to hurt people. That's not who we are at all. And yet, the early church was accused of turning the world upside down. Were they doing it through a revolution? No. Except the revolution of who Jesus was. In fact, some of the people came and they told the city leaders, they, it was mainly the Jews that would get upset and they would say, they were tattling on them and they said, you know what, they're, they're anti-government. They say, they don't, look, they don't view Caesar as king. They say there's no king but Jesus. Well, that was true. That's what they were saying, but they weren't trying to take up and overthrow Caesar because Jesus had been the one to say, render unto Caesar. What is Caesar's? Unto God? What is God's? And so when an individual tells you, well, you know, <clears throat> I remember many years ago when we went to Rome and we were looking at the catacombs and and uh, we were on a tour and under the Colosseum and uh, Parthenon or whatever it was that we were looking at. And, and, and one of the guides said, Christians were not fed to the lions or persecuted or burned at the stake for believing in Jesus. And I was like, wow. Really, why do you say that? And he said, no. He said, it was just that they believed there was no king but Jesus. Because the Romans were willing to accept any god you wanted to have. They accepted all of the Greek gods. Gave them Roman names. So it wasn't that they, people just believed in Jesus as another god. Well, he was another good guy. But it was that they are not going to worship anybody but the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I want to tell you, if you will just live for God and serve God and make God number one, you'll suffer enough persecution. You don't have to go looking for it. I'm just being honest. You don't have to make it your point to I'm going to go and make sure I shake somebody up. It'll happen. As a matter of fact, Paul, it's interesting, was accused in the 21st chapter. He was in, uh, he was captured. He was being led into the castle. And the chief captain asked him, said, may I speak to you? And uh, can you speak Greek? And here's what the captain asked him. Are you that Egyptian which before these days made an uproar and led us out into the wilderness, 4,000 men that were murderers. They were already being falsely accused of doing things in the book of Acts. Paul said, you know what? 
That's not who I am. I am a Jew of Tarsus of the city of Cilicia, a citizen of that no mean city, and let me speak. And you read Acts of 22nd chapter, he gives his testimony. He talks about how I was on the road to Damascus and a light shone out of heaven and knocked me down. I said, who art thou, Lord? And he preached. You know what? He wasn't that revolutionary, but he was another revolutionary. He was a revolutionary that the Lord had touched. That's why Paul would say in Ephesians the 6th chapter, when he talked about the symbolism of the whole armor of God, he said the sword of the Spirit, what is it? Take the sword, which is the Word of God. I remember Brother Charlie Edge used to have a little travel Bible he would bring and he'd say, I'm taking out my pocket knife. Y'all remember that? Carried a little Bible with him. What are you saying? Whatever we do, this is not an hour. And, and I don't, you know, I, I mean, I, I want you to vote. I want you to do what you, but we need to follow the example of the early church. Let the Lord transform me let me be a child of the king. I am not here to try to start a revolution in the government. I'm here to let a revolution start here and hopefully it'll start there and somebody else and you know, they'll begin to feel the presence of Almighty God. That's the revolution that we want to see sweep the world where they come in and say, you've turned the city upside down. We don't have any more drug addicts. We don't have any more alcoholics. We don't need the police anymore. We're defunding it totally. Why? Because all the crime, everybody has been touched by the Holy Ghost. Wouldn't that be amazing? You say, well, that would never happen. I want to tell you, it did happen about the turn of the century. through a lot of towns in Sweden and England. Whole towns were converted. Hallelujah.